Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live. I'm your host, Robert O'Haver, along with Matt Weber of Roar Internet Marketing. Hey, Matt. Robert. How you doing? Good, good, good. How are things going with you? Absolutely fantastic. Hope you had a great Memorial Day. Uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, it was fast. I went by re- really fast. we got to get more three-day weekends into the calendar. I think so. Well, we work 10-hour shifts, you know, every day. and then That sounds so appealing when you're coming off a three-day weekend, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But, uh, yeah, so, guys, we're switching gears today. Uh, before I get into that, I wanted to mention to you, if you have questions, uh, we're monitoring Twitter. You can go hashtag search talk live on Twitter, and we will answer your questions live on the air. Because uh, we are Search Talk Live, so we're live. Yeah, we, a lot of people don't know that we're actually live, live, live. Yeah. Like, we are live, live. We, we make very few mistakes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But when we do make them, they're genuine, they're yeah, real. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Matt, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself to everyone? Yeah, I am the CEO of Roar Internet Marketing, a digital agency located just outside of Orlando, Florida, and really enjoying my gig here as co-host of Search Talk Live. I'm also the inventor of Smilelytics, which you can find at smilelytics.com, S-M-Y-L-E-L-Y-T-I-C-S, which is a platform that turns your Google Analytics data into memorable and fun photographs. Right. Um, and where can they see that at? You can see it at smilelytics.com. Nice. Now, today, guys, we, we're doing a lot of uh, – we've been doing a lot of SEO stuff lately. And I really wanted to switch gears a little bit. Um, so today we're going we're gonna to mesh the two together. But one thing is, as everyone has said for many, many years, is content is king, right? So um, we're really in this, in this day of in 2019, it's not about, I mean, it's, it's even more than that, you know? It's not 10x content. It's like 20x content. Right, yeah. And if uh, content is king, we're really fortunate to have the content queen on the show today. Yeah, definitely. Um, our guest today uh, has a lot of content experience. And uh, today our guest, <clears throat> excuse me, today our guest is Christy Kellogg. She's the CEO of Dazzling. Is that correct? Did I say that right? Dazzling? Yeah. Dig- Dazzling Digital? You have to say it together. All right. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for the introduction. And yes, it's Dazzling Digital. And now I have to share like where that name comes from. So when you want to shine online, you choose Dazzling. Nice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the industry that you've been in for a while? Sure. Um, so I've been in digital marketing for um, about like close to 10 years. Um, and I was in agency for a long time. And then I branched out on my own. Um, and before all of that, I was a journalist. So I've always been a writer. I've always been interested in content. And then when I was exposed to SEO, it was so exciting because now you have this opportunity to use science really to get your content in front of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Um, And I really love it. So currently, uh, some of my clients include magazines like, you know, Brides, 
Vogue, Teen Vogue, um, a lot of the magazines from Condé Nast. So I love working with them. Like that's like a writer's dream to get to work with magazines like that. So everything we do is very centered on SEO and getting traffic and it's great. I also work with um, businesses and um, I also work with Search Engine Journal. I do social media strategy for them and I also write for them. So that's also great to partner with, you know, one of the best search engine publications out there. Wow. Sounds like uh, you stay pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like to be busy, though. Yeah. And you do have a prolific portfolio. You have written about an amazing range of topics. Yeah, thank you. But one of the ones you write about a lot is fashion, and you are clearly an expert in the fashion industry. So I think what we would like to do is start the show with a little bit of fashion orientation to search engine optimization and content writing. So let's get your take on a few fashion aspects of content writing and SEO. Ready, Robert? Yeah, let's do it. All right, you're up first. All right, so one thing I really want to drive home to all the listeners, and hopefully we get more listeners from this, but um, is the fact that content, you know, I would say, what is it, early last year, the year before, you had, let's say, Rand Fishkin. Let's do 10x content. And I feel that it's really gone up another level, you know. It, it, you, you, Everybody went up to that 10x, and now Google's kind of like, give me 15, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Uh, so the content really has to be compelling, and, and that's where I really wanted to start with you and, and, and what you could uh, give us that would be really succinct uh, for our listeners. So let's start from a fashion standpoint, Christy. Give us three things that are completely out of style now in content generation. Okay, completely out of style. Um, Having low-quality content that's just there for the sake of content, that's obviously out of style. Um, Doing anything intentionally deceptive or manipulative for, for a search engine, that also is completely out of style. And I think uh, not using all the tools that are at your disposal. So analytics, keyword research, just like writing without a purpose, that would also be out of style. Yeah, that's key. Writing with a purpose. What are you trying to get the user to do? And and I'm so glad you said that. I think that's got to be something that goes out of style quickly because what Google wants is that you've given the user clear, valuable content. Totally. Yeah, so let's 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 dive in a little bit here. Now, you know, I I see this constantly. I see people just writing to write. I mean, they, let's let's take uh, one of the industries I'm really familiar with is the legal industry. Let's take that for instance. You, or, or it could be anything, but it's. I think what people need to understand is when you write, the reason you need to write is to benefit that either that well. If it's an e-commerce site or a, uh, a legal website or anything like that, write to benefit the, the or to complete the actual action that they're trying to get completed on their website. Um, just writing evergreen content that, you know, it might be about the legal field, for instance, um, 
but write about something that they offer as a service, you know. Um, you understand yeah, what I'm totally. saying? Yeah, totally. And, Christy, you have written about uh, anything from fall foliage trips to auto care to weddings. What's your secret for preparing and researching to write great, valuable content? Okay, sure. So do we want to talk about how we come up with the topics or how, like, we actually get the info on that topic? We definitely got to do that first part, yes. (laughs) All of it. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, okay, so what we're saying is you need a purpose when you're writing. So the purpose could be, um, it could be to promote something that the company is doing, like maybe there's, like, a new initiative or a new service or something like that. Definitely worth writing about, Um, but... By and large, the reason we're creating content is to drive traffic. So content really begins with keyword research to find out the money keyword terms that you can be creating content around. Um, I like to do that in two ways. Um, One is to look at your competitors and see what they're what have they created that you haven't created. And then that gives you – so let's say – Let's say your competitor is ranking for something. Well, obviously, Google is expecting a site like yours to create content like that. So you already have a chance that, like, oh, you could get something on this topic to rank. So when you use a tool like SEMrush and you identify your competitors online and then you find out what they're ranking for, that can get you brainstorming about the kind of content you can create. Now, by no means am I saying to copy their content, but you can look at it as a starting board and then you can create something better or more comprehensive. Um, Another way is to look for content gaps, like just logically, like we're talking about the legal field, like what do you what should you have on your website that maybe you've seen around or you just think your customers are asking a lot or you've talked to your like um, customer service team and they've been telling you people are asking a question about a specific thing over and over again these are great places to start brainstorming for content but then you always go back to the keyword research to find exactly what phrase you want to optimize the content for you know, and when we think about the business owners that are listening to the show, sometimes they forget that they are subject matter experts. You know, and if you ask a business owner, why should I do business with you? They've got a reason, and they've got a really good spiel. So they've got some of the early starting points of that content that they need to generate. What your advice is, let's add it with some research that says, what are people actually looking for and where are the spaces in the marketplace? But I don't want anybody listening to the show to be intimidated over the fact that content generation is hard or complex because at the heart of the matter, it is really selling your product or business, and nobody does that better than the business owner. Right. I agree. Um, With a lot of clients that I've worked with that are business owners, one of the first things we'll do is just sit down and I'll interview them for like an hour or so and record everything they say and, you know, learn. Like, that's a great place to start. And even the business owner themselves can just kind of give his pitch and everybody's got a pitch, right? Put that into a voice recorder, get it transcribed, and then you've got some starting points for to break out some some copy points to things to say because if you ask business owners to write it, they often say things that are different than what they would say if you were in front of them personally and they were pitching their business and they lose a little bit of the what makes them different when they have to write it than when they say it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So tell us a, a little bit more about, okay, now you've done the keyword research, you've identified your target, 
What's next for you as someone who has written on an enormous variety of topics? Okay, so the next thing to do, this is still like the sciencey part. So let's say we've got our keyword. The next thing I'm going to want to do is look at who's ranking in the search engine results page. So, I, and of course the featured snippet, and I'm going to want to see how many words each of those competitors had. So I like to look probably at the top five um, and, and then pay a special, special attention to result number one and the featured snippet. So if those, let's say they have a thousand words or 2000 words, that's what I'm going to need to hit or exceed. I mean, not exceed by a ton, but obviously there's that much to say about the content and that's what Google is expecting to see. If I come in with something that's 300 words and the top ranking competitor has a thousand, I'm not even going to have a chance. So that gives me a good frame of like how long this content is going to need to be. Um, there are exceptions. Let's say for some reason the top ranking content is really spammy and unuseful and that's why it has like a ton of words, then maybe I'm not going to pay attention to that word count as much. Like the word count is important, but not to the point that the content ever becomes fluffy or unuseful. So, but I'm going to use that as a guide and I'm also going to just look at what they have. Like, um, you know, with the subtopics of a topic, it's going to give me some ideas for what our content might look like if it's good. Um, I mean, if their content is good, it just you want to see what the, com the competition is doing. So then in terms of like finding out about a topic, um, you can do research the way we've all done research for everything. You interview subject matter experts. Um, you know, I write a lot of articles for news publications. So quotes are always useful like if I'm writing a story about how to get into modeling um, it's going to be way more legitimate if I have quotes from the CEO of a modeling agency versus me just writing my opinion because who am I to talk about that like it's just like any article you read you want to consult with experts um, yeah does that does that help it does now we're throwing a, around a word here useful what do we really mean by the word useful? What's, what is useful copy? Well, I think being useful means you're thinking about your reader first and foremost. So the weekend, how to uh, save text messages on your iPhone. Okay, so obviously the reader really wants to know how to save text messages their iPhone. So I'm going to get to the point. I'm going to, whatever ways there are, I'm going to share all of the ways. I'm not going to cut it short. I'm the options and give them a step-by-step -step guide if that's what needs to happen. I'm just going to answer their questions. You know, from a business standpoint, we're kind of uh, changing the tact on the sailboat here where it's a little bit less about selling and a little bit more about servicing. So back to your legal experience, you are providing content that really brings a context or an understanding of the issue. Mm -hmm. First, selling second. Yeah. And that's the shift for a lot of people doing SEO content writing today. It's that uh, kind of restraining yourself just a little bit from that urge to sell right off the bat and producing content more that is helping the user. Yeah, and it's really not about selling, really. It's more about being authoritative and, and giving that, you know, show that you know what you're talking about and that you, you're a professional or an expert. Stressing that and, and 
that sells itself, you know, is it just, you know, it, it, it tells that person, this guy knows what he need, talking he's talking about and, and gets them to, to take that action. Yeah, and yet still instinctively you go to a lot of websites and there's still that chest-pounding copy. You know, we were formed in 2012 under the values of honesty and integrity mm-hmm. and we've been around for 50 years and da-da-da, which isn't content that actually helps somebody. That's not useful right. content. So that's where the orientation shift is for SEO content writing now. Yeah, and it's it's really kind of a different animal, like when it comes to from products to then writing like evergreen content versus because like at least with the law firms I work with, like you know they have really long content. Long form content ranks really well, um, but they their the biggest mistake they were making is they were closing at the end. Not everybody reads. You know, two thousand words. Right. They they scan the content. Right. So it's important to have it up towards the top. So Christy, has content well, changed right. formatically in the past couple of years? We we see in our analytics that people have less and less of an appetite to read, and yet we know that long content ranks. How do we battle this intersection of a lower attention span for readers, yet the need to have longer, more robust copy than our competitors in order to rank? How do you handle that intersection? That's a great question, Um, and it definitely can be done. So we all know that readers have a very low attention span, and they're probably looking at multiple screens at once. Um, So what we've found is, um, you know, a, a lot of publications you might have noticed, every paragraph is just a sentence. Like, each sentence is its own paragraph. Um, And the reason for that is then the text is more broken up. Another thing, if you don't want to be that uh, bold, I I don't know what the word is. Um, If you want to be more traditional, you can still use paragraphs. They just should be shorter. You should never have something that's going on for a long chunk. Another thing that keeps readers on the page is using bulleted lists or numbered lists. Or, this is super important, marking up your content with H2s or H3s and H4s where applicable. Um, So not only will using H2s help keep the reader on the page and their attention on the content, it will also, uh, H2s help you get answer boxes. Um, So that's another benefit of that. So subheaders is what you're saying. Yes. Subheadings. Yeah, so content really formatically now should be presented so that the reader can skim it. If they want to read it, they can read it. But it's really formatically got to be presented for skimmers and not readers. Is that your sense? Um, well, I, I'm not saying that like we have to keep just the skimmers in mind. I think this is good for anyone. Like even someone who is going to read all the content, still having the headers is helpful. Because maybe I just want a specific part of the article, so I want to find it. This is also where using jumps, can, like anchor jumps, can come in handy too. Yeah. I think she's saying is the, with the subheaders, headings is you, you hook them with those titles. So you get them to read that other paragraph and keep going, yeah. keep going. And how much time do you spend on writing good headlines and subheads versus body copy? Oh, oh, I mean it's all one and the same. Um, when I'm writing something, the headers like it's very natural. Like you know where you want to put a header. Um, it's not like a separate process. So do you scrutinize your subheads and your headlines to make sure that they're attention-getting and engaging, or does it flow naturally for you when you're writing that copy? 
for me it flows naturally one thing but you know I've, I've been writing my whole life so it might not be as natural for everyone um however one thing that i will always pay attention to when i'm doing like a final review is um were they not keyword rich because okay maybe the keyword won't necessarily this is actually more when i'm editing someone else's work so maybe the um Maybe the H2 they used was really clever, but it didn't really get to the point or it wasn't like a, it didn't have something related to the keyword. So that is probably going to hinder the chance of a featured snippet. So I'm going to make sure the H2s are very clear rather than clever. So uh, the audience may not know that in addition to being a prolific writer, you are also a, a widely renowned and, and very valuably used editor. What's the most common mistake you see people make in producing their own copy? Oh, okay. Um, that is – that's a big question. Okay, so mm-hmm. I think – okay, right off the top of my head, not paying enough attention to making it look professional. Like there should be – and like this is so basic, but there should be no grammar or spelling mistakes or just anything formatted incorrectly. And speaking of format, this happens a lot. People will use more than one H1 on a page, and this is not good for SEO. And I think the reason people will do that or that they'll put an H4 instead of an H2 is because they like the way that header looks stylistically. But the thing is, these are very important to Google in understanding the hierarchy of the content. So if you don't like the style of an H2, like change the style or talk to your front-end developer. Don't continue to use them wrong because that's just going to hurt your SEO. That's well said. I've seen that quite a bit. Yeah, and to me it's a lot like outlining. Remember mm-hmm. back in middle school or high school when they taught you how to do outlining, your header tag should follow that same conceptual process of an outline. Yeah. Totally. Do you pre-outline your content before you write it? I'm thinking. Um, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> so you're a, you're a stream of consciousness <laughs> writer. It can it just flows from outside of you. I I guess. I mean, I think once anybody is experienced at something, it just they can just do it, you know? Um, I think outlines can be helpful. Yeah, I think for people who don't write content as often and as well as you do, it may help them to write the outline first and come up with the headlines and then try to fill in the content. Because a lot of people struggle with that first starting point of writing good content, and it's, it's almost as if they start with writer's block a little bit and one of the ways to get past that is don't look at it as, hey, I have to write an article. Look at it as, I have to write an outline. And that's usually less intimidating for some people because in general that's going to be like maybe 60 words or 70 words as opposed to looking at the task and saying, oh, man, i got to write 1,500 words about this topic. Do it bits and pieces, right? Walk before you run. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the research. I mean you, we've talked about the keyword research and stuff, but – what do you look at when you're looking at the competition and what they've are are just similar articles? Um, do you look at that in a way where let's see how can I add to this and make it better? You know what I'm saying when you're writing on a topic? Yes, um, right. So we obviously never want to just copy someone. Um, so like if you're just reading a piece of content and you still have questions after. Most other readers are probably going to have those same questions, so that's a good place to, like, find more things to add on. Um, Also, 
I mean, if you are doing a search on Google and then you go down to questions people also ask, like that area, that's a good place to see like related content that you could maybe like add on to your piece of content wow. so yours is more comprehensive. There's also a website called answerthepublic.com and that also helps you find like long tail phrases that are related to keywords. Um, so yeah, if you're ever stuck for like, what else do I write about on this topic? Like those are those are good places. And I really, it's like anything we all did in school. When you're writing about something, you just have to research it. A common mistake I think business owners make when they're looking to hire um, a content firm or a content writer is like they'll ask, oh, well, are you an expert in whatever field it is? That's not really the most important thing. What you want is someone with experience in SEO and content optimization and content writing because the subject matter, matter expert is not, they shouldn't be writing your content. The, the writer should be interviewing the subject matter expert to create the content. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Great. How do you know when your content is finished whether or not you've been successful and you've achieved the objective that the content had set out for it? Well, you do your best, obviously, and you know everybody is different. Maybe you're using Yoast on WordPress to check your SEO, and like also, I have a note on plugins. Like, so a plugin can only tell you so much, but like it it is helpful. Like, especially if you're starting out and you just don't even know if you did a good job, I think a plugin can be really helpful. Like, because it's gonna. Uh, it's going to review important things like did you include the keyword in the meta description? Did you include keyword tags? Did you include it in the beginning of the body content, the SEO title, etc.? Um, so that's like one metric, but obviously when we're talking about trying to overtake other content and get a featured snippet and all these things, then you like actually need your brain and, and like, you know, assessing yeah. whether or not it's going to work. So you do your best, obviously, but then the way to tell if it was successful is to go back and see if your position changed or if you got the answer box. Um, and that's different for every article. Like I've done hundreds of articles for Condé Nast and sometimes they can change, um, they can get a good ranking like immediately. Sometimes it takes a month. Sometimes it takes four months. Um, so it's not always like immediate gratification. But, and also, sometimes you won't rank at all. Like, sometimes you will do all the best practices, you will create a killer piece of content, and you still just won't rank. And there's nothing you can do about that because we can't control Google. Yeah. So, Christy, what have you found, like, in the in the time you've been writing articles online uh, to be, for those rich answers, to be kind of the connectors that you see on all the articles that you've written that show up in a rich answer? Okay, for the answer boxes. Um, the H2s definitely help. So I always would pay attention to what is currently in the answer box before you start working on a piece of content. Then that might give you some insight into whether Google is expecting to see a numbered step-by-step -step sort of answer box, or maybe it's just a question and answer. Um, so just pay attention and then try to format your content that same way. And like I said before, um, Google really likes lists and headers for answer boxes. So I can think of an article I wrote um, that was a guide to the different kind of nail shapes. Mm -hmm. So every nail shape um, I marked up as an H2, and then that those H2s are what are in the answer box. Nice. 
When you say nails, I'm assuming you're not using the the wood nails. No, I mean fingernails. There's like <laughs> there's a lot of different shapes you can apparently turn your fingernails into. I may have to read that article. I didn't know that. You gonna do your nails? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get past just this one shape that I use. I've got to break out. I got you. <laughs> so let's uh, when we get back, what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna do who influences the influencer. We want to know who do you follow on social media to kind of get your your information from. Um, so right after the break, we'll be right back. Today's episode of Search Talk Live is sponsored by... Directive is an industry-leading search marketing agency fully focused on helping B2B marketing teams increase their results. If you're looking to increase your marketing qualified leads and decrease your cost per acquisition for search engines, I'd highly recommend you take a look at their site. We've actually had their CEO, Garrett Marguth, on the show, and I can honestly say these guys are doing some great stuff. I hear that they even have their own analytics system that lets you correlate your SEO, PPC, or content efforts directly to revenue. If you're a B2B company and thinking about switching agencies, or if you're in-house and need help, I'd give Directive a look. Visit directiveconsulting.com or call 949-214-4024. Again, that's 949-214-4024. Again, that's Directive at directiveconsulting.com. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. Are you currently an SEO agency or an agency that offers SEO services to your clients? Hey, this is Matt Weber, co-host of Search Talk Live and an agency owner myself. I've got some exciting news for you today. There's a platform called SEO Monitor that is built specifically to help digital agencies provide more effective SEO campaigns for your clients. Their offering understands the dynamics of running multiple SEO campaigns and also managing multiple clients with just one platform. One of the best features within the SEO Monitor platform is the Business Case Builder. This tool literally allows you to forecast the value of SEO services into well-known business KPIs that your customers will immediately understand. Add that to conversion data from analytics and AdWords, and you get powerful transparency for forecasting the impact you'll make on your client's business. SEO Monitor offers world-class support, so they're there when you need them. And they've got top-level service-level agreements to make sure your agency is always able to deliver to your clients. If you want to find out more about the great tool at SEO Monitor, go to seomonitor.com slash STL. They've also got information about their Spark program, which is a $5,000 grant for SEO agencies or companies that are focused on SEO that have been in business for less than three years. So check it out. Visit searchmonitor.com slash STL today. That's searchmonitor.com slash STL. All right, we're back. Sorry we had a little mix-up on the the middle of the break there. But... um, it's okay. exhausting doing those commercials live. <laughs> you probably could do it live, you know that. But uh, Christy, let's talk about who influences you. Where do you go social media wise, and who do you do you pay attention to to get uh, great insight? 
Sure. Um, so I work with Search Engine Journal, but I also get most of my news from Search Engine Journal. So they have so many writers and um, leaders that are on top of everything. So literally every piece of um, Google news or updates or also updates related to the social media networks, it's all coming from Search Engine Journal. So I follow them and pay attention to them every day. Um, outside of that, people that just like inspire me, um, I think Larry Kim is like absolutely the best and I love, I love how he invests in growth marketing and thinking outside of the box and just making what you have work even more. Um, another person who really inspires me and I follow online and in real life is Virginia Nessie who all, I've, I've worked with her at two different companies and she works with Larry Kim now and she is one of the people that um, taught me a lot about content strategy and SEO um, when I was getting started um, and she's so smart so anything she writes or says like I pay attention to um, also, Danny Goodwin from Search Engine Journal, yeah. he is very smart, and, you know, I I have the, the good fortune of actually getting to have, like, one-on-one -on -one meetings with him and, like, pick his brain, so that's, that's awesome, and he's such a nice person, and then also over in Florida, again, with you guys, I believe, um, you've got Lisa Beyer, who's another person that I just, like, look up to, um, oh, yeah. she's yeah, like so smart and so savvy um, and just really a good example of being a female business leader and just being awesome. Yeah, she's down in South Florida. She's she's amazing. Yeah. That's a great list. Yeah. Now, you get to write about some really exciting stuff, and uh, you told us before the show that some of the less exciting stuff we didn't know about. Um, so tell us a little bit about what are some hints for people who might be listening to the show and saying to themselves, you know, I don't really work in a business that's ex exciting as many of the things that Christy writes about. Like somebody who's listening to the show that might be doing SEO for an accounting firm or for uh, a plumber. How do they generate super exciting, riveting, provocative content? Great question. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, an accountant is probably never going to create provocative content. However, they can create useful content um, that will drive traffic. So, and also like exciting is a subjective term. So like, you know, someone who is an accountant might find what they're writing about exciting. So I think the key is to be useful. Um, it's useful, not exciting. So let's say you're an accountant. Maybe you're going to start writing a lot of content that's around common questions that CPAs get asked or questions um, w about like tax time issues. Like, I don't know, I'm not an accountant and I've, I've never uh, done any content strategy for an accountant. But it would start at the same place with keyword research and talking to the business owner and talking to the customer service and um, trying to be useful and being an, be an authority and a subject matter expert. So um, like a practical example, um, when I worked at an agency, one of our clients was um, a major, um, I, I don't think I can say their name, but they were a major um, uh, auto care provider, okay? So that's not exactly the most exciting thing, but what we did is we created a lot of content like, um, like what kind of tires you should buy, why is my engine making whatever noise it was, and then p giving people guides to like troubleshoot what was wrong with their car or why they need this tire. And, you know, yes, that is not as exciting as writing about weddings. But if that is your business, be useful. 
Yeah, that's the end of the day is bring value to the to the users on that. What role does YouTube play in your research for content? Um, a small role. <laughs> um, it would depend. Like if I if I'm researching something and it turns out there's something that's really informative on YouTube, yeah, of course I'm going to watch the video. I'm going to learn more. Um, but you know, I think usually that's not where it comes from. But that doesn't mean that it can't come from there. Let's talk about planning. So we want to get our website to or a page to rank. And a business owner listening to the show has only got a fixed amount of time that they can dedicate to this. Christy and and Robert, how are you dividing up the time in a month? Meaning is 30% of the business owner's time spent on generating content and 30% on looking at analytics and figuring out what happened and 40% at maybe trying to figure out some of the technical aspects of the site or in your mind, Christy and Robert, is it 60% of that limited time that he has should be generating content? Where, Where's the priority for someone listening to the show who's got a limited amount of time to do this successfully? Christy, I don't know if you would agree with me, but you really can't depend on the client too much because you'll never get content. <laughs> um, it's just that they just, you know, a lot of times they don't have either the staff or the time or you just got they're running a business you know where does content fall in the big plan though in terms of priorities christy go ahead um i think it should be a major priority um it's just as important as having a website if you don't do seo and content strategy it's like someone's offering you a billboard on the busiest part of a highway and you're like oh and it's free and you're like no thank you i i don't want to do it so if you want to be found online like you need to do SEO. So it should be a major priority. Now, should the business owner be doing it? Well, I'm sure most business owners have a lot to do um, and they can't devote the uh, the time it takes or or if they're going to, that's great, but it's going it's it's not easy. It's not something you're going to do for like an hour a month and it, and it's good to go. So I think that's why most businesses either have an in-house content strategist or SEO or they hire a firm or a consultant to work with them. And I will say, um, there's one business I work with where I work as a consultant for this business and they have some writers who I can I can tell them what to write and I can help them and I can edit their work and because they're not SEO writers, they're, they're just writers, you know? So I work with them to make the content they create more search friendly so you can have um you can have a setup like that where you're using the resources you have but then you're paying for less of a consultant's time because they're not actually creating the content that's well said how does someone hire a writer what should a business owner look for in trying to vet out somebody that can provide good content for them that's a great question um i think looking at their experience and their resume like you can hire someone who's you know got a degree in English or writing or whatever but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they're going to be that great I think you need to like look at the experience too like who have they actually done SEO for like or or done SEO content writing um what kind of measurable results did they have like were they able to drive more traffic to the website because a content writer who has done things like that is going to be excited to tell you those things um and also you get what you pay for. So yes, you can 
start with someone who is maybe less expensive and also less experienced, but it's going to take more time and it's going to be harder and your results might, might not be as good. Um, but okay, but to get back to your question, like, what do you look for? Who have they worked with? Do they have demonstrable like data? Um, and then also that doesn't even tell you the whole picture. So I remember when I started with Condé Nast, they actually had me do like three test articles. Like they, they like, I'm pretty sure they, they didn't even give me a keyword. They were like, what would you do? That, like, what would your keyword be? Write it how you would like rewrite this article that needed a refresh. So like you have to test the person, um, especially if it's a major contract. Yeah. Did you say Conway West? Conde. Conde Nast. I don't think Kanye hires, hires writers. Yeah. 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 It is hard for a business owner to hire a writer. It really is because – you know, and a lot of times they don't know what they're looking for. So making sure they've got an appropriate resume, making sure they've done it before. And I think why I find this question particularly interesting is for myself, and even though I'm in a little bit of a different position, the number of emails I get per day of people who want to provide content for us is you know probably two to three a day. We have more than that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And uh, to try to figure out who's real and who's not real take some time and energy and looking at their past work is a great great piece of advice and asking them for statistics what have they done and who have they moved up ranking wise via their content yeah i i think i've never gotten an email from someone like that that was like oh i'd love to write for this site blah blah that was actually legitimate um i mean they're they're pitching their services yes but they're not someone i would want to hire yeah, we just talked to a, a client just about two weeks ago, and they had actually hired uh, some freelance writers via an email solicitation. And then they, when they engaged with us, they said, hey, by the way, we've got this massive volume of content that we've paid for, and uh, let's make use of it. And so we started going through the content, and not surprisingly, it was all duplicate content. Oh, God. Every, every bit of it. Yeah. That sucks. And they've got, they had more than $1,000 invested into it. So, mm. you know – at the very least, you got to check what they submit for whether or not it's been plagiarized. Yeah, and there's tools for that. You can go to like Copyscape and and that stuff. And uh, I would definitely. And do sometimes that. it's as simple as copy and pasting the paragraph and putting it into Google. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Christy, what role do external links play in your copy development? Are you planning who you're going to link to and writing some copy around that link? Do you have the external links in mind before you write the piece? No. Um, to be honest with you, um, for most of the people I work with, we no-follow every external link, so it's yeah. kind of a no-brainer. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about tools. Now, there's other things. Uh, I was wondering if you use something like Buzzsumo to see what kind of social engagement and stuff like that you're, the, the articles you're you're talking or thinking about writing uh what kind of tools do you use um buzzsumo is great i would say the things that i use all the time though are sem rush and google analytics i also like to use um the there's bulk seotools.com has this free uh web page counter which is really helpful like when i was saying you want to get the the word count for like the top five results like you can just pop in those urls and it will give you all of their word counts so you don't have to do it manually nice. um what else do i like to use um i love um 
Mobile Monkey for building chatbots on Facebook, but that's not really that's a different kind of content. That's social content. Yeah. Um, I love Moz's um, the that like free keyword title. I'm sorry, I'm saying it wrong. The the title tag tool where you can just see what it looks like in the the SERP without doing anything. Um, that's just handy. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are the things I use the most. What was that monkey one again? Mobile Monkey. Mobile that monkey. is. Yeah, that's a chatbot builder. You can literally like build a chatbot in like five minutes without even writing any code for Facebook Messenger. I have to check that one out. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. What's been your most difficult SEO writing assignment? I think the most difficult ones are when something literally needs to be like 5,000 words because wow. it just takes forever. Um, there have been cases where for some magazines, the content, like everything that was ranking really was that robust. Um, and you know, you do it, it just takes a lot longer than a 1,000 or 2,000 word article. And I think also when it's something um, that you don't know anything about or it's super technical, like going back to that auto care example, um, I was the, the content strategist that did all of the pages about the cars, right? I don't know things about cars, like nothing. So that was, I think it was hard because it was not engaging to me, you know, but you know, you can do it. It doesn't matter if it's fun or if it's easy, you still just do it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that really makes your portfolio special is your diversity. And you have written about quite a bit of things that I assume aren't down your line of passions. Yeah, but, you know, even if it's not like something you're passionate about, I am passionate about getting clients more traffic. So that is still exciting at the end of the day to see a business grow and a website become better. So what do you do when you are stuck? Do you have that day when the proverbial writer's block occurs and you just can't get the keys on the keyboard to move? Um, I mean, definitely there are days occasionally where, like, you're not as productive as usual. And I think at that point, go away from the computer, take a walk, do something else for a little bit, and just come back fresher. There's never a time where, like, I can't write about something or I can't research. Just sometimes I'm... I, I need to reset, and I think that's true for anything. Yeah, she sounds like she's got a great talent. I mean, she should just sit down and just let it flow, knock it like out, a, like, like a great <laughs> musician. Just sits down at the the keyboard, and out comes this beautiful, beautiful melody. <laughs> Writing is super fun. I love it. it. It's I always wanted to be a writer. Um, I never knew that I was gonna grow up to be like an SEO specialist like I didn't even know what that was obviously when I was a kid but um, this is like the path it took and it's really rewarding to give us some sense of it what would a busy week be for you how many words are you cranking out in a busy week oh oh I don't even know um, I mean pff, I just have okay let me think um, I mean, I probably write eight to 10 articles a week. It could be less, it could be more. Um, some clients were operating on like a monthly basis. Some it's on a weekly basis. For the magazines, there are like just, you know, deadlines, like they wanna get this guide to summer shoes out by this date or whatever. So um, 
I think one thing most journalists like really take seriously are deadlines. Like you do not miss a deadline. So if you needed to stay up until midnight, like not to be late, you do it. Um, but you know, because I do um, social media strategy um, as well, I can kind of break things up. Like maybe I'll do an article and then I'll answer a bunch of emails and then I'll do an article and then I'll go do social ads for Facebook. Um, so I try to break it up. So if you're doing eight to ten articles a week at about an average of five hundred words an article, you're you're pushing five to eight thousand words a week. Yeah, that sounds that sounds legitimate. <laughs> like <Man>. like accurate. <laughs> Um, one thing I'm really excited about that I'll plug right now um, that's coming out um, on Search Engine Journal, I was working on a book for like, I don't even know, like the last four months we're having um, how to dominate social media marketing. It's like a 260 page guide and that's coming out next month. And so that wow. was one thing that is off my plate now. So like, you know, room for more articles. I saw that you're co-authoring that with some people, are you not? Yes. And tell us about some of your co-authors. You're in quite a select group. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have some social media like marketing experts, like Lisa Beyer, that, who we talked about earlier. She's one of the the co the, an author in it. Um, Brent Satoris, the partner for Search Engine Journal, and I I think most people in digital marketing know him. Um, he's one of the authors, and he um, he wrote two chapters that are all about Reddit because um, he really specializes in Reddit. Um, and I do not, for the record. I don't know anything about Reddit, so I was happy to have him in the book. Um, you've got Anna Crow, um, Beverly Teresa, Victoria Edwards. Um, it's a great group. It really is. Very impressive roster. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so why don't you tell us this? I mean, this is a question we get quite often from business owners. How often should you put content out? That's a great question again. Um, so you should... Okay, we talked about this in the very beginning, like don't create content for content's sake. Um, so if you're setting content goals, it would be way, like first start with how much time you have or how much m the budget you have for who you're going to hire, like how many hours can you buy from a consultant or whatever. Because if you have, let's say, 10 hours in a month, it would be far better to create two really good pieces of content rather than 10 really short nonsense pieces of content so everyone's goals are different depending on their bandwidth and or their budget um that being said in a perfect world i think at least one piece of content a week like at a minimum is mm. a good goal okay well said because i um i mean we get that question all the time it's like should i post five a day or, or five a week <laughs> you know and definitely quality over quantity correct yeah absolutely always well, is it that time in the show? It is time. Christy, it is time for one of the favorite features of Search Talk Live called Believe It or Leave It, where we give you three statements about SEO and content writing that we found on the Internet. And we're going to ask you to tell our audience whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it and tell them why. Are you ready for that? Okay. Yeah. All right. Here's number one. You ready? Yes. There is a duplicate content penalty in the google algorithm yes 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 believe that or leave it believe it <laughs> and tell us why you feel that way because it's true <laughs> <laughs> like there's documentation 
representation of it. Like Google has said it. If you duplicate content, um, even your own content, you're just going to hurt yourself and like you won't rank. All right. That's uh, succinct. <laughs> number two. All right. Number two. Mobile users have less patience for written words, so videos are more effective for con- conversions on mobile than desktop. Okay, so we're saying videos are more effective for conversions on on mobile than desktop. That's what the statement is? True. True or false? Correct. Yes. Yeah, more effective than content? Is that? Yes, that's what the statement is. Um, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Like, you should believe that, yes, videos are compelling and will drive conversions, but I don't think there's any, there's, like, content is not bad. So... That's tricky. I, I think you should have both. Yeah, it was an interesting article that I, that we found, by the way. And what the the point the author author was making is that on a mobile device, people are a more often to be distracted because they're potentially physically involved in some other activity, and b the amount of physical space that they have makes text a little bit harder for them to consume in general than on the wider screen of a desktop where they may be more focused and they've got larger reading area. So the author tried to make the point that in that environment, you can't serve up effectively the same amount of content for a user on a mobile device than you can for a desktop. And it's an interesting theory. Yeah, and you know, I've, me personally, I, I'm like the old school guy with the phone as opposed to the newspaper. I, I find myself, because... I get my feed from Android, um, reading more articles than I do watching videos when it becomes news and stuff that's you know important. I can speak from personal experience. I read more on my mobile device than I watch videos as well. Yeah. So I'm going to say leave it. I just – I it seems to be positing that content doesn't have a place on mobile, and that's not true. Yeah, I tend to agree. My personal experience is if someone gave me the choice, hey, consume this. Like USA Today, I read the USA Today on my mobile device, and they've got articles that are video content and articles that are text. I gravitate to the ones that are text because I can control the time, mm-hmm. right? If I, if I make the commitment to the video, then I go, okay, I'm committing to 18 or 20 seconds, whatever it is, whereas right. with the article, I feel like I'm more in control. I think it, it, they both have their place. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last one. Believe it or leave it. Christy, you're doing great. Number three. Having proper header tags with a targeted keyword in them is more valuable than striving for a specific keyword density. Uh, believe it. Believe it. Okay. Yes. T- tell us I, more about that. Okay. So keyword density, um, I'll just be completely transparent. I don't think it matters very much. If you are writing your article in an organic way, the keyword is going – I mean, obviously – caveat you're putting the keyword in the first 30 words of text and you're having like at least two or three uses of it in the article if it's more than that it was probably natural like maybe it's like some phrase that doesn't really have any like thing that's synonymous so it's coming up more like if you're not trying to keyword stuff you probably won't keyword stuff like accidentally right so okay but also caveat like i do this all day so maybe someone else would i don't know But to that end, I don't think you need to spend a lot of time focusing on density as long as it's in the important places, like in the very beginning and a couple of other times throughout the text. So if we're talking about keyword density versus 
header tags, header tags are way more important. Believe it. Yeah. Good stuff. Really good advice. Okay, now I would say it's time for the Search Talk Live tattoo. The Search Talk Live tattoo. Chris, you've been a great show. You've given us a lot of great things to think about. If you had to summarize all of your counsel and wisdom up in one tattooable phrase, what would your Search Talk Live tattoo be? I think if I had to give like one thing, and it also had to be short because it's a tattoo, it would be start with keyword research. Yeah, that's really profound. That's a really good tattoo. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we talked about SEO and and content writing, it really does come back to that. If anybody's looking for one big takeaway out of this show and some of the others we've done on content writing, it's get that keyword research right because, Robert, you've heard me say a lot, uh, if you don't know the target, the weapon really doesn't matter. So get the target right. Well said. All right. Well, I want to uh – I appreciate you being on the show, Christy, and uh, it's been great. Lots of good information. Um, we, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Why don't you tell us uh, about where we can find you on Twitter and maybe if you have a website? Oh, of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to talk about this stuff with you guys. I hope whoever is listening, I hope you were able to take away something and use it in your business. If you want to connect with me online, I'm Christy Kellogg everywhere, and that's spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-K-E-L-L-O-G-G. And you can learn more about my company at dazzlingdigital.com. So that's the word dazzling and then the word digital.com. I thought she was saying it's Christy Kellogg everywhere. So you put everywhere. Oh, everywhere. <laughs> oh, no, no. Every, <laughs> I just, just mean like it's the same. It's your Twitter everywhere. handle. and, and yeah. yeah. LinkedIn, all the places. It's just Christy Kellogg. Well, you have an awesome portfolio. It's very, very impressive. And you've given us a lot of great advice. And it's great having you on the show. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for listening to the show. Uh, catch us next week. Uh, every Tuesday, 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter if you have questions with hashtag Search Talk Live and Matt. And ask people to sub- subscribe to the podcast yeah. and leave us a review. Got a lot of good feedback about the past few shows. I'm looking forward to getting more feedback about this show and ones coming up in the future because we've got a heck of a guest list coming up. All right. Well, you guys, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. If you have questions for Search Talk Live or you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor of the show, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's searchtalklive.com.